morning, isn't it, to be able to come together as the people of God, to lift high the banner of worship in truth and in spirit. And as we've assembled for that purpose today, our first thought, of course, is to magnify the will of God. And of course, you and I will be encouraged and built up and edified as we do that. It's so good to see everyone here today, our members, our visitors alike. As you keep in mind the thought of our worship and the opportunity that's ours to worship in truth and in spirit, for the next few moments, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Galatians. You'll notice the lesson text came from that chapter, chapter 1, verse 11, just a moment ago. We're going to be really devoting the entirety of our lesson to the book of Galatians this morning. So if you'll turn to that location, you'll at least have before you a number of places you can readily find as we look at various parts of the lesson today. The next slide sets before us a scene. I'd like to invite you to imagine something. Suppose that we had the opportunity to be present when the Apostle Paul was involved in a question and answer session. A large group of people are assembled. Paul is perhaps on a stage before them, and they're asking him questions. They're asking him certain matters, certain situations, and then he's given the opportunity to respond. A few months ago, we had a question and answer session with Jesus, and we in fact used that as we allowed the Lord Himself to speak to a number of matters today. Suppose we have a question and answer session with Paul. And in fact, those who are gathered are from the region of Galatia. So again, that's a region in which they're located in Asia Minor. They are battling a rather serious set of issues and problems. And as they have assembled, Paul has agreed to a question and answer session before them. With that said, let's begin. Question number one. Suppose as the first question is addressed to Paul... The matter is raised. Paul, we have a, a gentleman rises and he says, Paul, we're thankful that you're here to share these perspectives and these ideas with us. But I would like for you to speak a bit concerning your credentials and concerning the authority that you have to share with us these things and why we should believe you. At that point, Paul is given the opportunity to respond. And so he says, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of men, neither was I taught it, but rather by revelation of Jesus Christ. Next question. At this point, as you can well tell, an aged man rises. He's sitting over perhaps near the periphery. As he rises, he in fact speaks so eloquently about the nature of his Jewish faith. It is such that he rather quickly says, Paul, as thankful as I and others are for your coming to us and preaching to us in these regions, I grew up a Jew. My father and my mother were both dedicated Jews. We trusted in the law of Moses. I was reared to respect and believe it. I was reared to have the utmost of confidence in that law of Moses. And in fact, I've lived my life by and large following the dictates and the teachings of that law. And so at this point, the gentleman asked, You now have come recently saying that that law of Moses is no longer the critical thing to be preached. It's no longer that which solely should guide the, th the characteristics of life. And so the old gentleman says, Paul, I'm confused about the purpose then of the law of Moses. If God didn't intend it to be permanent, if He didn't intend it to remain, why did He give it the way that He did? And the old gentleman then says, I'd like to be quiet and listen to Paul what you have to say. 
At this point, Paul rather immediately replies, Galatians 3.19, The old law, that law, was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the, to whom the promise was made. And then he adds, verse 24, The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Now as you think about those attributes, you'll appreciate, of course, that Paul has spoken rather dramatically. It brings us to question number three. On this next question, you appreciate rather immediately with me the following. A man relatively nearby, that previous gentleman, he too was one who appreciated very greatly the attributes and the strength of that, that old law. And so he's quick to ask the following. This gentleman states, I am a believer in the greatness of Abraham. My family, of course, reared me to appreciate the nature of that great covenant that God made to Abraham and through him. And as such, I have given my life in fullness to following the dictates and the thoughts of that covenant. Now, that covenant predated the law of Moses. But at this point, I, Paul, firmly believe in the promises God made to Abraham. I'd like to hear what your thoughts are about those promises. Paul now replies, If you be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now again, as you and I think about the nature of Paul's reply, he has set before us the greatness and the grandeur of the nature of that gospel of Jesus Christ. But doesn't it immediately lead us to a fourth question? You may notice at the bottom of this slide, there's a lady present in the audience, and she too has the opportunity to ask a question. She, in fact, gains Paul's attention. He acknowledges her, and as you can see, she makes a statement. Paul, I came from the eastern regions of the Galatian area. Not too many Sundays ago, there was a gentleman that came in our area and he asked if he could preach and he asked if he could share a message with us. We thought due to his claim and due to what appeared to be the case, that was the right thing to do. He spoke to us that day. But Paul, he didn't share with us a message that sounded like what you preached when you came to our congregation. It didn't sound at all like anything you're the same. I'm just a little bit confused. Could you help me understand what it was that took place by virtue of the preaching of that, of that gentleman? Paul, I'd like to hear what you have to say. And so, Paul now replies, Though we, or an angel from heaven... Preach any other gospel unto you than that which we've preached unto you. Let him be accursed. As I said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel than the one you've received, let him be accursed. Next question. The next question in our series, question number five, as you can well tell, is such that a gentleman, again, rather quickly see, seizes an opportunity to ask Paul a question. I've written it near the top of that slide. Because this gentleman also rather quickly says, I too am from that eastern district of Galatia, and that same gentleman came also to our congregation. He began to speak, but I and some others opposed him. In fact, we encouraged him and forbade him to speak. This gentleman asked, there were some people after services that day who were very upset by what we did. They thought that out of love and out of respect and out of mercy toward this gentleman, we should freely allow him to talk. 
And these people, in fact, accused us of being very unkind and unloving. They accused us really of acting in a way separate and apart from the truth of God. I'd like to know, Paul, what you think about what we did. Paul now replies, But I withstood Peter to the face in Antioch because he was to be blamed. Next question. As you and I come to question number six, across the room a gentleman rises. He speaks again with such compliment to Paul, appreciating Paul's willingness to have this question and answer session, speaking to the nature and character of how very informative it was. But then, he says, A few moments ago, Paul, you spoke about the law of Moses. The question that was asked, in fact, directed you to speak about the purpose for that law and what it was that happened by virtue of it. That leads me to ask a question like this. I, too, have been a believer in the law of Moses. I was schooled in it. My parents taught it to me. In fact, I even attended a school whereby I could study some features of it. I don't see any problem with trying to serve Jesus Christ and, in fact, be faithful to that old law of Moses. It seems to me that you could do both of them without any trouble. Paul, I think you have misspoken. I think that, in fact... What you're saying is not correct. I think I can be both a follower of Moses and a follower of Jesus. I would invite you to think clearly about what you said, but I would like any further remarks that you might make. At this point, Paul replies, If you serve the old law, you are fallen from Christ, and you have fallen from grace. Next question. As you look at all these questions... And as you and I imagine ourselves in this circumstance wherein these questions are asked, imagine again how lively they are for the matter of our day today. Some of these same issues are troubling the minds of individuals. And so why don't we look at question number seven. Again, in this question and answer session, suppose we come to the following situation. A lady again rises. Perhaps she's sitting near the front. She has arrived early. She's been excited about the nature of this question and answer session. As she has listened to the previous question, she now says, I come from the southern district of Galatia. And we, Paul, have been battling a serious problem in our congregation. There's only one church in our town. And I'd like to share with you briefly some of the things that we experience. There's a great deal of backbiting and unloving disposition here. Groups in the church don't get along. People don't talk to one another. There are individuals here, in fact, who will go out of their way to avoid having to have any kind of contact with other members of the church. It seems a very tense field situation. When we come together for worship or for other occasions of assembly, it's a struggle to maintain one's mindset as it ought to be due to the tension that's there. I wonder if you have any words of wisdom any insight that might help us put to rest these considerations and cares. I'd like Paul to hear what you have to say. But if ye bide and devour one another, take heed lest ye be consumed one of another. Next question. As we come to question number eight, a young man, perhaps over near the edge, he rises. This young man has a very passive disposition. 
a young man who himself clearly is one who is thankful to be there. But as you can well tell, he has a very different set of ideas. He quickly takes the floor and he shares the following story. Paul, I come from the western area of Galatia. The church has in fact exploded and grown rather notably and people have come by leaps and bounds to be with us. The church seems to be moving in the right direction. We're thankful for that. It is the case, however, that some of the things that I and my fellow preachers like to share are not exactly the things that you preached when you came through, but is it the evidence of the large numbers indicative of the fact God is with us, He's blessing us, and He is bringing to us the kind of people to make our numbers as they are? Paul, I believe there's a great distinction between the Spirit and the flesh. In fact, isn't it true that as you give thought to there is a body, there is that which is flesh, but it's also true that there's spirit, and the two are not the same. In fact, I firmly believe that it's entirely possible to maintain that distinction in the following way. The spirit and the flesh are completely separate now. Surely you admit that, don't you, Paul? And that separation leads me to say that in my life, I don't have to be connected in the way that you say to the things of Jesus through the Spirit. I'd like to hear what you have to say. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, for the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Next question. One by one, we're already getting a feeling that these particular questions that have been raised were offering to Paul very troubling circumstances, and Paul laid them to rest rather br briefly in many cases, as he did so to these Galatian brethren. Question number nine asks us to contemplate yet another scenario. A woman rises. She does so with a bit of enthusiasm. She does so with a bit of intrigue and interest in as much as she has heard the previous questions and answers. And there's been something that's been weighing very heavily on her mind, having to do not only with the things of herself, but of course a question concerning the matters of Paul's answers. And so she takes the liberty to say, Paul, aren't you aware that God is a God of tremendous love and mercy, and it's such that He extends that to one and all? In fact, I've heard you preach about that opportunity before, and yet your answers today have been so hard. In fact, these individuals who have spoken about the law of Moses, don't you know? They love that law, and they have all their life. It's near and dear to them. And your answers have been direct and to the point, have been very unforgiving. I believe you ought to reconsider the kind of answers you've given and the way you've given them. I would ask that you think about that. Do you have any additional comments then to any of these things you've said? And now Paul replies, Am I your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. Next question. It's you and I come to question number 10. Another gentleman rises. He's sitting very near the back. As he has heard the various questions and answers, he now comes to rather directly ask this one. He says, I am a member of one of those eastern, or rather those western congregations that were mentioned earlier. 
over the last several months, it has become rather notable that the preaching and the kind of movement of our church is such that it's moving in a direction that is Gnostic in character. Oh, we love knowledge. In fact, we lift high the nature and character of it. But Paul, there's some knowledge that mortals by themselves don't have. The Spirit's got to give it to them. And when that gentleman preaches to us, he's preaching to us by way of a knowledge that I don't have. I don't have the Spirit the way he does. And therefore, these ideas are things I believe what he's saying is right. Isn't it true, as you and I come to ask this, the gentleman did ask this question. I wonder what you have to say about this situation, the nature of this church of which I'm a part, and yet so many others in that district. Paul replies, I marvel that you're so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that pervert you and pervert the gospel of Christ. By this point, you could almost imagine a strong sense of emotion in the face of Paul as he speaks about the nature of what some churches have done and the movement they've made away from the truth of the Lord, away from that gospel that Jesus shed His blood to, to bring into reality. One by one, as you and I have listened to all these questions, we've now come to yet another one. Let us turn this slide as we now turn to question number 11. And so in question number 11, a woman rises. She, in fact, gets the attention of Paul, and he acknowledges her, and he offers her the opportunity to ask the question that's on her heart and mind. She, too, speaks about a situation arising in her congregation. Paul, there appears to be a strong element of discrimination in our church. There are those who, in fact, do not have anything to do with others. They discriminate against those who are of certain background. They discriminate against those who don't live in the same part of town they do. They think that they're better than others. And that kind of attitude and quality is very hurtful. I would invite that you might ask, Help us that we might deal with this. Paul now replies, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ. Next question. As we come to question number 12, another young man now rather eagerly arises, and with enthusiasm he seemingly can't wait to offer the following question. You'll notice it near the bottom. He rises and says, Paul, when you preached in our town there a few years ago, I noticed that you spoke very strongly about certain moral behaviors. There are certain things that you said were wrong and, and sinful and ought not to be done. However, I'm not so sure I agree completely with you. After all, isn't it true that again the spirit and the body are completely different? What I do in the body has little recourse, if any at all, on the nature of the Spirit. I think I can serve God and still do some of the things you said I shouldn't do. I wonder what your reflections and what your thoughts on that might be. Paul is again given the opportunity then to respond. And he says, as you'll notice in chapter 5, beginning in verse number 20, beginning in verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, 
uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, which I've told you before as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Next question. As we come to question number 13, we've looked one by one at these relationships and the certainty of these questions. Number 13 is just as certain as the others have been. A gentleman rises, and especially in light of that question, we just know to question 12. He rises and says, I've got family members who themselves are members of the Lord's kingdom. They're members of the church, but yet they have strayed off on some of these paths you just now said were wrong. And they've begun to do these things which are hurtful. And they've begun to act in these ways that are very, very sad and regretful. I'd like to know, what may I do, what can I do, in order to help bring them to a knowledge of the truth so that they'll come back to where they rightfully belong and where I want them to be? Paul now replies, as you can see in the text at the top, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Next question. You'll notice as we come to question number 14, Paul now hears with a great deal of sternness a middle-aged man make this statement. Again, he's sitting near the front. As he rises, he makes this rather stern and strong statement. Paul, there are certain issues in life which are more important than others, and God is interested in the big picture. He is less interested in those fine details that you just mentioned a moment ago. You're mistaken, at least in parts of that. The important thing is to love God, believe in Him, and all those fine details are less important, don't you think? I'd like to hear what your answer is, Paul. And so Paul's given the opportunity to reply. He does so like this. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Next question. As we arrive at question number 15, another gentleman rises and he speaks with such compliment to the nature of this question and answer session, the opportunity that's been afforded, the understanding that's there. But he offers the following consideration. He says, Paul, isn't the thing that's by far the most important is to persevere in what's good, to continue in that which is faithful. And as you do that, to appreciate that the needfulness and the blessing of God will be available. I wonder if you have any words of wisdom and advice on that subject, Paul. And Paul then begins to reply. Chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. But let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And then finally, that 15th verse, 
that procedure, that consideration of promoting and doing that which is the will of God. Now at this point, let's say, as we've listed to 15 questions in Paul's answers, his answers have been brief and to the point. His answers have been word for word, of course, that which you and I find in the 6th chapter book of Galatians. As you and I close that part and come to another element in our lesson in this morning, aren't you impressed with how the Word of God answers the needs of the heart of man, not only in the first century, but today? Now you and I may then open any of the 27 books of the New Testament and find in them the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. Find in it that Word that will lead one faithfully to heaven if it's obeyed. That Word that is truly the thing that brings life, John 6, verse 63. As we've assembled together this morning, we've listened to this segment of, the, of God's Word, the book of Galatians. Would you just revisit briefly some of the majesty of it? Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Are you and I currently living in a way where we really are allowing ourselves to be fooled? Oh, I heard, I see what that Word of God says, but I think I'll take my chances. I know I'm not doing what that says. I know I'm not. But yet I think that I'll just slide on through life, hopeful that it's all going to be okay. God is not mocked. Never has He been, nor will He ever be. We all know that come that day of judgment, oh, we may slide through this life, but at the instant we die, if we've died outside the Lord, we know exactly what our eternal fate will be and there's no changing it. There's nothing that we can ought to do to alter or modify it. And therefore, it takes us back to chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. That gospel. Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we've preached, let him be accursed. You and I have but one means, one message, one thoroughfare, one channel by which we can proceed from this life safely into the realms of the life beyond. Are you a faithfully obedient person to the gospel of Jesus Christ? That begins by asking, have you become a Christian? I realize it's a traditional thing. You're the close of every sermon. We make sure we all hear what the gospel plan of salvation is. But remember, in chapter 3 of Galatians, verses 26 and 27, Paul told them what it was too. What we're doing is a scriptural thing. In those two verses, Paul said, as he spoke about being a child of God, you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That group of people had accepted Jesus, and that acceptance, of course, culminated in their baptism. They weren't in Christ until they were baptized. But upon that baptism, they were able to rise from that watery grave and proceed to live by the dictate of God faithful. Maybe there's someone in this audience who, though you have heard the Word of God, you've never obeyed it in the sense that you become a Christian. We would encourage you, Jesus would implore you to think very earnestly and seriously about your current condition. Because after all, if you've reached that age of knowing wrong from right and you haven't obeyed the Master, you're in a lost state. You're in an unforgiven state. You're in a state whereby if you pass from this life in that state, all that Jesus will then be able to say to you is, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You've never been a child of His. The Galatians were reminded time and again that there's a uniqueness to the gospel. 
And though men may try to add things to it, that's perverting it. Though men may try to take things from it, it causes you to fall from grace. Galatians 5 verse 4. Today, let your heart be tender and touched by the invitation of Jesus Christ. Believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name as the Son of God and be baptized. It'd be a day of celebration to be sure. If you have become a Christian, you've begun that walk with Him. Maybe as a student of the Word of God, you appreciated so many of the promises that He had to offer. But yet, that seems at this point like a distant memory. Your life, at least recently, has been a poor reflection of the purity and the character of the New Testament. Others, perhaps, in reflecting on your life, have themselves begun to act and to live in ways that are not good. You realize you've brought reproach on the name Christian. You've brought reproach on what the church stands for. And Jesus isn't happy about that. Didn't He admonish the church in Ephesus, return to your first love, and He shouts the same thing to you. Today, you could walk down this aisle. You could make a statement to us of what you would wish us to do for you making confession of sin, making a statement of repentance, and we'd be happy to pray to God for you. May I say to one and all that the book of Galatians is but one of 27 in the New Testament, but it speaks so lovingly about the nature of what we can be if we're faithful to the Lord, but also of what the sorrowful state is if we're not. If there's anyone in this audience today subject to the gospel of Jesus Christ in a public way, we would implore you, we'd encourage you, we'd invite you to come, and we would do so at once while together we stand and while we sing.